Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. It's an exciting morning for us here at Rosemont for obvious reasons with the children coming down in the palm branches. What a, what a neat thing to see those precious little children. What a neat thing to celebrate these families and all these uh, precious little babies. You can see why we need a lot of preschool and children's workers, right? We need a lot of people to be involved in this process because I've said this before. We're not operating a babysitting center. We're training these children in the things of Christ. And there's a difference. And we need dedicated people that are serious about doing that and serious about their work. And so Philip and his team do a fantastic job with those children. So excited about today. But it's also Palm Sunday. Uh, As they come in and celebrate, we're reminded that on this day, centuries ago, Jesus walks into Jerusalem really for the last time. And he walks in with fanfare and excitement and as a king And a few days later, he's going to be crucified. Just this incredible turn. I I would encourage you and really challenge you this week. You should read through that final week. You should spend some time in in one or all of the Gospels reading through and remembering what what Jesus did and what he accomplished for us. And so the, the kind of the beautiful part of the picture is Jesus walks into Jerusalem, spends the last week in the city, teaches and trains, eventually is arrested and crucified. And if you stop the story there, it'd be a very sad ending, right? This man who led so faithfully for several years, his followers and the people walking around with him dies on the cross, right? His followers are scared to death. They're in hiding in an upper room, not quite certain what to do. And if we just stopped there, it'd be a terrible ending to a story. But instead, what we understand is that Sunday's coming, right? And so Jesus, even though he's crucified and dead, right? And we would say he died, For three days is in the grave, and then he rises back to life. It's an incredible story, and we celebrate that next Sunday morning, Easter. And just a reminder, we're going to do three services, 8, 9, 30, and 11. Invite people that don't go to church. Take this opportunity to invite your neighbor or or a coworker or a family member, a friend, whatever. This is the day that a lot of people will come to church just because it's a big day. Great opportunity for them to hear the gospel. So just be encouraged as you share your faith and as you talk about Jesus this week. uh, As we think about next Sunday morning, just challenge people to come hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to continue this morning in our study of Exodus. We're going to end up with Jesus again, I promise, here in just a little while. We're going to tie him back in to the end, kind of a beautiful picture through the Ten Commandments. But we've been walking through Exodus. We've been walking through this story, following the people of Israel in the wilderness. They've come out of captivity in Egypt. They've been led through the desert. They've been brought now to Mount Sinai. Moses has been called up on the mountain. God's going to give him the Ten Commandments. And let's look at those again. We've reviewed those each Sunday for the last several weeks. But I want to look at those one more time as we kind of finish up the portion of the Ten Commandments this morning. First four commandments deal with how we view the Lord. How do we interact with the Lord? How does he rule over our lives? How do we understand the world in context of the Lord? Go to the next slide. Five through 10 show us how to deal with other people. 
right? So how do we deal with our neighbor? How do we deal with our friends and our family? And we've walked through each one of these, these thinking through them, kind of be challenged in our faith. And this morning, we're going to do 8, 9, and 10. So let's jump right in this morning. Exodus chapter 20, verses 15 through 17. Verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And we're going to kind of take one verse at a time, draw out some truth, understand how we can apply this to our lives. Because remember now, this is important. Every time we study God's word, every time we come into a sermon, every time we go into a Sunday school class, the objective is certainly to learn, but more importantly, it's to be transformed in the image of Christ. So if all you're doing is learning a bunch of facts and it doesn't change anything about who you are or how you think, you're missing the point here, right? So we want to understand this truth. We want to figure out how we can apply it to our lives. And then we want that to lead us to this place of change, looking more and more like Jesus. So here's the first truth I want you to see based right on verse 15. Number one, trust the Lord with your possessions. You should trust the Lord with your possessions. Now, the eighth commandment is clear, do not steal. And here's what I want you to kind of understand. Here's the the context of what we're getting at here that I want you to see. When we steal, it shows that we don't fully trust in what the Lord has given us. We take something that's not ours. What we're ultimately saying is, Lord, you've provided me with all of this, but it's not good enough. You've provided me with all this, but it doesn't bring me the joy or the satisfaction that I want. So there's something else out there that I need to take. There's something else out there that I need to possess. So I'm going to take this from somebody else, all the while believing when I take it, it's going to bring me a little bit more joy or a little bit more happiness or a little bit more pleasure. So it's really getting into the heart of who we are and understanding our walk with the Lord and ultimately trusting him, right? So that's the foundation of what we're getting at. But let's think through this a little bit more specifically. Because when we come to this idea of not stealing, most of us think of things like burglary or robbery or or shoplifting. Most of us, I I hope all of us, are not going to do any of those things, right? I mean, you're probably not here this morning contemplating a bank robbery tomorrow morning. That's probably not where most of y'all are. So you're good with most of this, right? And so it's very easy for us to kind of set this aside and go, I'm not going to go steal from Walmart today. Let's move on to the next one. But let's delve a little more deeply, right? Because it's easy on kind of that superficial level to set this aside. Let's think through it a little bit and be challenged a little bit more right where we live, right? So here are some more examples of stealing. We steal from the government by underpaying taxes or making false claims for disability or social security. We steal from our place of work if we fill out false time cards or help ourselves to office supplies, or pad our expense account. We steal and we don't give a full day's work, right? When we waste time surfing the internet, playing computer games, watching March Madness last week. Not that we did any of that up here, by the way. We steal when we cheat on tests, students, right? Let me just be real transparent. Pastor Adam has cheated on a test. Can you believe that at some point in my life? I actually did that. I'm not proud of it, but I did. 
But what you need to remember and understand is you're taking something that's not yours, right? You're taking the work of somebody else, the time of somebody else, the effort of somebody else. And it's very easy in our society just to kind of pass that off, to laugh that off. It's just kind of funny. But when you take somebody's work, somebody's answers, when you cheat on the test or on the homework assignment or the project, you're stealing, Right? We steal when we take something that's not ours. We steal when we take something that doesn't belong to us. And what we're ultimately saying here is that we lack faith, we lack trust, God hasn't given us enough, we need something else to bring us happiness. Now, as so much of this does, it relates finally back to the beginning. One of the things I love studying through the book of Exodus is how much it relates back to the book of Genesis, especially the first three verses and how God created things with a very specific order, very specific patterns, very specific ways that things were supposed to be done. Of course, sin enters the world and everything changes. But let me just remind you of Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, The Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to keep it, right? So there's this idea in Scripture that we are created to work. We are created to work and to do good things. He was supposed to maintain this garden to make it nice so they could eat of the fruit, take care of what God had given them. So there's this built into this idea, we have been created to work, we have been created to to nurture and to be good stewards of what God has given us. Now watch, in the midst of all this, we understand that we're also created in God's image. Right? We are image bearers. And so God has created us in his image. He's created us to do this work. He's created us to be good stewards with what he's given us. Here's how one writer explains this. He said, God's image bearers, that's us, must work hard doing honest work and then further reflect their creator by being generous with what they earn. God creates, owns, and shares. He cares about stealing because he cares about his glory. When laziness and selfishness drive us to steal, we forfeit the opportunity to share in God's righteous character and reflect him to the world, right? When we steal, we're saying, listen, I know I'm created in the image of God. I know that I'm an image bearer. I know that I've been created to work. I know that I've been created to produce good things, to take care of those things. I know that I've been created, Lord, to trust you, but I don't. I'm willing to take in order to bring myself more pleasure. Now, here's the problem for us. Here's ultimately the problem for us. We have this tendency of believing that the things of the world will bring us more joy, more happiness, more peace. And so as we take our eyes off of Christ, off of the things of the Lord, and we put them on the things of the world, our desires become more and more for those things instead of for Jesus. All right, here's what Matthew chapter 6 says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in, on earth where moth and rust corrupt, And thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Watch, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, we're keeping our mind on Jesus. We're remembering he's created us to work. 
He's created us to do good. We're created in his image. We're going to look to the eternal and have faith in him and believe that what he has given us is enough. Don't steal. Now look at verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Here's truth number two. Very simply, we need to guard our words. Guard your words. Right now, this particular, the ninth commandment is very specifically talking about lying. We're going to get there. We're going to start off a little more broadly. We're going to back it up because the scripture has an awful lot to say about this. Right? The Bible explains to us that words matter. They can either build you up or they can tear you down. James chapter 3 says this, a very interesting way for James to explain this. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses, right, the metal thing that goes to help us steer the horse, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Right, here's what the Bible says. Listen, our, our tongue is a very small part of our body, but it sure can control where you go. It sure can control what you do. It really, if you're not careful, can control the direction of your life. My family uh, last summer had the opportunity to go out west for a little while. We went to San Diego. And if you go in the harbor of San Diego's USS Midway, how many, how many have seen that boat? Anybody by chance? A few of you. There's another one, another aircraft carrier in Charleston. How many have ever been or seen an aircraft carrier in life? Just raise your hand. Okay, quite. Anybody ever been stationed on one? Nope. Um, big boats, right? They're massive. In fact, they're about 1,100 feet long. In fact, I looked up some numbers. An aircraft carrier, modern aircraft carrier now, stands about 20 stories out of the water. It's 1,100 feet long, about the size of an 80-story building if you laid the building down. Flight deck is about 250 feet wide, weighs almost 200 million pounds. Now, if you took one of those, one of those uh, aircraft carriers and you set it in our field out here, it would basically stretch from our driveway all the, crawl, all the way across the field to the house. That's about 1,100 feet. You imagine how large that would be. It would take up our entire field, 250 feet wide. And yet, now watch this, this is interesting. Those massive aircraft carriers are controlled by two rudders that are 29 feet long each. Like 29 feet. Right, so a rudder that's about from here to that wall steers that aircraft carrier that's as long as that entire field. It's pretty incredible when you think about it. That little bitty thing, James says, controls that entire ship, right? And we get that. We're he's using the analogy of our tongue. We get that when we think about our mouths and how small our tongues are. But watch, one careless statement can ruin your career. Run, one careless statement can destroy your marriage, can destroy your life. We, we get that. And that's why the Bible is, is filled with these warnings about speech. Right? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Right, here's another one that may apply to some of us. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Right? we got to be careful about gossip, don't we? Very easy. Here, here's how we do it in the church. We hide it as a prayer request. Have you heard about what he did? We need to be praying for him. I can't believe he did this and said this and did that and said that and did this and said that and said that. We're good about that, aren't we? We need to be careful. Guard your tongues. Be careful of the things you say. Right? 1 Timothy 5.13 says, Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to say. Right, so there's this, there's this list kind of scripturally that the Bible talks about that we shouldn't do gossiping, bragging, slandering, cursing, spreading rumors, arguing, yelling, right? John MacArthur says the misuse of the tongue is perhaps the easiest way to sin. But the ninth commandment is clear, right? So we kind of talk about the general picture here. Guard your tongue. Be careful of the things you say. It can lead you astray. But the ninth commandment is very clear. Do not lie. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9 repeats this idea. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, I read this week about lying, and I read some different commentaries about lying. I want you to listen to how one writer explained this. Because most of the times we, we think, you know, I'm not going to go and lie, somebody to their, lie to somebody's face. I'm gonna, not going to tell a, a bald-faced lie for people to hear me. But here's what it might look like in your life. We lie to impress people. We fill out job applications and add little untruths here and there. We pride ourselves in exaggerating our past accomplishments. Some of us lie to get revenge. We want to discredit other people. Others lie to make a profit. They try to sell you something that's not worth all they say it is, so they take advantage of the situation by covering up the truth. Sometimes we just lie because it's more convenient to lie. We bluff our children, seeking their compliance by empty threats. Children lie to escape punishment, and we never grow out of it. I think it's true. I think there's a lot of ways as we walk through life that we tell a little lie here or a little lie there, or we tweak it a little, or we change it a little bit just to make ourselves look good. Remember, our words matter. They either build up or they tear down. Do not lie. Now, third, we're going to spend a little more time on this. Verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Here's the third truth this morning. Find contentment in the things of the Lord. We need to find contentment in the things of the Lord. When we covet something that's not ours, we're ultimately not content with what the Lord has given to us. Right, now here's the problem. We live in a society that doesn't want you to be content with the things that you have. We live in a society that spends billions of dollars a year in advertising to convince you that what you already own isn't good enough. 
It's either too old or it's not popular or it's not the right color or so, some combination of those things. And we see all these advertisements then bombard us to remind us that there are things that are bigger and better and newer. You think about all the commercials that makes those, make those claims. And so it becomes harder and harder for us to be content with the things of the Lord. Now we tie this to the idea of not coveting. It becomes very difficult, doesn't it? Because the Bible says, listen, you're not supposed to covet other things. You instead should be content with the things that the Lord has given you. Now, for a lot of us, here's what we do. We, we think about the idea of coveting. By the way, this is an interesting uh, commandment because the eighth and ninth deal with specifically doing things to other people, lying to them or stealing from them. Coveting is something we do within our hearts. So it's easier to hide. It's easier for people not to know that it's going on inside of us. And so for us, a lot of people kind of pass it off. They don't think a lot about it. It's not a big deal to them. But I want you to listen to how Mark explains coveting or the context he puts it in when he's speaking about other sins that we struggle with. Listen to these other sins that coveting is listed with. Here's what he says, Mark 7, 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Here they are. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, and then coveting is the very next one. Isn't that amazing? Let me read them again. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, right? He puts them with what we would consider some pretty serious issues, some pretty serious struggles in our lives. And so what we see in scripture is that coveting isn't kind of a minor thing that we kind of laugh about and set aside. It really is important because it controls oftentimes the way that we view the world. Here's how Al Mohler explained it, thinking about this 10th commandment. He's the president of Southern Seminary. He says, violating the 10th commandment is actually a direct violation of the first commandment. We're placing another God before us, the God of this object or the God of that consumer product or this lifestyle or this or that aspiration. That's interesting because when we see this scripturally, when we begin to understand, we kind of begin to see the problem here because as we live this life and we understand that the struggle we have with coveting, the problem that we see in our lives is that no matter how much we have, we always want more, right? That's typically what most people go through. And we see this, I think, played out more so than anywhere else modern times is in social media, right? I think social media drives this idea of coveting more than anything else. And here's what I mean by that. When you post a picture on social media, you always post your best, don't you? Right? You don't wake up in the morning and your hair's all messed up. You got on some old raggedy pajamas. You don't post that picture. You don't, you don't go to McDonald's and get a nasty Big Mac. And I love Big Mac, by the way. But Big Mac that doesn't look that good and post a picture of that, right? You don't post a picture and you got a piece of lettuce between your teeth or something's going wrong, you wait until everything's perfect, right? Your hair's fixed, you got on your best outfit, you're in the right location, the sun's exactly the right time, you're surrounded by all the right people, and then you take 100 pictures, right? You take 100 pictures and you scroll through until you find the exact right one, and then you put a filter on top of it if that weren't good enough, right? And then you post that to the world as if that's just the way you normally live. You know, uh, no makeup, LOL, whatever. Right? We, we kind of live in this world. We post our best. 
We want people to see how wonderful and majesty and beautiful our life, majestic and beautiful our life is. And if we're not careful, when we look at that, I'm like, man, that guy, man, I sure would like to live like he lives. Or I sure would like to look like she looks because we're comparing their best to our average, right? So we have to be careful thinking through this, understanding what it means to covet. And here's the ultimate idea, right? This is where we need to get to. As we think about coveting and the things of the world, we need to find our contentment not in things, but instead in the Lord. And that's a process. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. But our process ought to be, I'm going to take my mind off the things of the world. I'm going to take my desires off the things of the world. And I'm going to turn them to the things of Christ. First right, 1 Timothy 6.6 says this, But godliness, listen, with contentment, is great gain. What a beautiful picture. Right, Paul talks about this. You're like, I don't quite know how to do this. I get it. You're right, Adam. I do struggle with this. Sometimes I wish I had that, or I wish I had this lifestyle, or what this person had. What do I do about this? Well, Paul talks about this in Philippians 4. And Paul had been through a lot, right? Shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead. We know the story. Eventually martyred for his faith. But here's what Paul writes in Philippians 4. He says, I've learned to be content. There's the word. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Here's what he says. I know what it means to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul understands the secret to contentment is to be so satisfied with the things of the Lord that we're able to accept whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. We're so content with the things of the Lord. We love him so much that it doesn't really matter what the rest of the world is doing or saying. Our joy and our hope and our trust is found only in Jesus. Now we come to this place now where we've kind of walked through all the Ten Commandments. We spent a lot of time thinking through, working through, trying to figure out how to kind of apply those things to our lives. But here's a big picture I want you to see that I think is awfully important as we kind of finish up this portion of Exodus and the Ten Commandments. As we think about these, I want to ask a question. I don't want you to raise your hand. I just want you to answer this question very simply in your heart. How many of you have broken at least one of the Ten Commandments? Don't raise your hand and don't nudge somebody next to you either, okay? Probably all of us, I have. How many have broken more than one? Probably all of us, I have. How many have broken one in the last week? Probably all of us, I think I have, right? So we're kind of all in this same boat and we get to this place where we're like, man, I want to do this, but I can't. It's impossible for me to do these things on my own. What do I do? Here's what the Ten Commandments ultimately do for us. They point us to the need of a Savior. Right, we can't do these things on our own. We can't live like this perfectly but Jesus can. And so if you're kind of at this place in your life or you're at home watching us or maybe you're in our overflow this morning and you say, listen, I hear you. I, I understand. I've read these before. I've seen them. I've never really thought about the idea that I can't quite do all these and I have to be forgiven. I need a savior. I want to point you directly to Jesus because he's got the answers. So if you never prayed this morning to receive Christ, I'd, let, I'd, I'd love to walk you through that. I'd love for you to better understand the forgiveness he offers and the peace and the hope and the joy. And so we're going to give an invitation here in just a minute. Our worship team is going to make their way out here in just a second. This altar is open. You can come and pray. But if you've never repented of your sins and turned to Jesus for forgiveness, 
I'd love to walk you through that process this morning. There are lots and lots of great things we can learn in this world. There are lots and lots of great things that we can do, but our confidence doesn't come from those things. Our hope doesn't come from those things. Our joy doesn't come from those things. That only comes when we trust Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the Ten Commandments. We thank you for the way in which you have shown us and demonstrated and led us so faithfully, Father. I pray that as we think through these last three this morning, stealing and lying and coveting, Father, I pray you would just kind of shake our hearts a little bit, Father. Help us to understand how we should live. Help us, Father, to trust you more. And if there's somebody here this morning that's never repented of their sins, never turned to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation, Lord, open up their eyes to that truth this morning. Father, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. Feel free to come and pray. Feel free to come speak to me. This is your time to respond as we sing together.
we're going to finish up again this morning by reading through the Ten Commandments together. So let's take a look at the screen. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Let's read together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the water earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is in your neighbor's. We pray the Lord has spoken to you. Next Sunday is Easter. Invite your family, invite your friends. Have a good week. We'll see you back then.